Hello, I'm Kirsten O'Brien. Welcome to 16 Summers, the podcast that really only wants the answer to one simple question. If you had to choose between the childhood that you had or the one you give in to your children, which would you pick? Right, I feel at this point you should start playing like the Hovis music in the background because we were poor. We used to get up half an hour before we went to bed. I heard a line uh, that somebody said to me. He said, you know, we had an underprivileged childhood, I found out later. It was an improvement. Like I said, that's what you want to be of his father. So I knew his, his shortcomings weren't his fault. You know, there was, there was what he's learned from his father. And he loved us. Manure Boy, which was my, my nickname at school, because we still had the sign up for 10p manure bag outside the, outside the house, was not going to fit in very well. There was a lot of years of pretending to be someone else and not doing a very good job at it. Today I'm chatting to Melinda Messenger, model, presenter and now also a fully-fledged psychotherapist. Melinda became known almost overnight in the 90s when she appeared in her undies on a billboard advertising double glazing. She's gone on to have a successful presenting career on shows like Live from Studio 5 and Fort Boyard. Originally from Swindon, where she grew up with her mum and older brother, Melinda now lives in rural Berkshire with her three children. But who's had the better time of it as kids? So we'll start by uh, telling me about your childhood is the obvious place to start. Where did you grow up and, and what sort of, how many people were in the house with you? What kind of house was it? Paint me a picture. Okay, so I grew up in Swindon. Um, I was born in Swindon and lived there until, oh my gosh, um, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s. Um, and I grew up, uh, my parents divorced when I was about four. So I, most of my memories are, are, are living with my mum. So there was my mum and my two brothers, one older brother, one younger brother. Um, and we moved a couple of times, but mainly, you know, we lived in, you know, um, little house, um, a little terraced house. I think I was there for the longest time that I remember. Um, there were three beds. So I used to share with my younger brother when we were little. Then I had my own room and my two brothers shared. Um, a little garden, which my mum loved. Um, and so it was full of plants and little trees. And that felt quite magical. And my favourite thing about living there was um, outside the front of that house. So it was a terrace row of houses. And outside the front was um, a sort of an area of kind of wasteland that was kind of locally known as the dump, which really doesn't do it any favour. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it sound really unappealing. But I was in there the whole time. It was basically just... It was just our little bit of nature. So it was just all bushes and shrubs and trees and it sort of separated um, our little housing estate from the flats that were behind it. Um, but to me, it was magical. You know, I had a den in there. I'd be, I, I did all, I was, yeah, I was the kind of kid that was forever kind of collecting snails and caterpillars and building them Lego houses and, and teaching You weren't them. a girly girl then by the sounds of things. No, I mean, so that was a bit, you know, as everything, it's always a bit of a paradox, isn't it? I was very girly in the sense that, I, you know, I always sort of wanted to be in a dress. You know, my mum used to say when I was little that, you know, I would I would change my dress a couple of times a day. I mean, this is not me now, by the way, I'm complete opposite. Um, but I was very much, I guess, yeah, the things I would do were probably much more of a tomboy nature. Um 
But I think it's just because I like being outdoors. I like being outside and climbing trees and making dens and being on my bike. And, um, you know, I would take myself off on adventures and just go and roam the countryside, um, you know, for hours on end. Was there a sense, because you had two brothers, that they had to be your protectors in any way? And I say this out of interest because I have three kids and I have a middle girl. So I'm interested in the dynamic of, was that you off on your own or was there always a sense of your brothers must go with you? Um, No, the opposite. I actually feel like I was my brother's protectors, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is ironic yet again, because I was a really tiny, tiny child. I mean, really small. I'm only five foot two now. Um, but yeah, when, when I was sort of 16 at school, the first years used to go, oh, isn't she cute when I'd walk into their classroom? That's how small I was. But I was kind of feisty, I guess. And I think that came from growing up with two brothers. Um, and I, yeah, I think I was very, I, so I, my, you know, we had a lot of time on our own because my mum was a single parent and working mum. And I used to find the dynamic was, my older brother would be picking on my younger brother and I would be protecting my younger brother and trying to keep my older brother in place, um, which, yeah, my older brother did not remember fondly. He used to call me Mrs. Mature, you know, because I had to make all the decisions. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think I was kind of the boss, really, in that way. <laughs> oh, God, I like it. And, and I can ask this coming from Middlesbrough, but Swindon... What's your relationship with Swindon? Uh, do you think of it fondly or how, how do you view it? You know what? I do think of it fondly. Swindon just gets so maligned, doesn't it? You know, and so put down. But actually, you know, there's, there's good and bad in every place. And for me, you know, A, I didn't know any different because I grew up there. So that's all that I knew. But I found the parts of it that I loved. And, and for me, it was all the surrounding countryside. So Swindon is surrounded, you know, it's in Wiltshire, um, beautiful little villages and countryside. And and so for me, I I really love that. And also, you know, it's it, there. It, you, you can't knock it in terms of there was always plenty of work. So there wasn't, you know, a kind of a big unemployment problem there or, you know, feeling like it was hopeless when you came out of college or school because there was nothing to go into or nothing to do you know that was all there um and I quite like it's not so much of a small town now it's quite big but I quite liked that it was a small town so when I did get to the age that I could sort of start going out and being social which wasn't actually until sort of 18 19 I was quite late doing that kind of thing um but I knew everybody and so I really liked that as well so I've got fond memories of Swindon. You know, there's the the places that I love, like Coatwater, which is just this big park with a huge lake, Um, you know, town gardens, lawns. It was all the sort of, yeah, I guess all the kind of natural places. The bit I didn't enjoy was the magic roundabout and being taken there. (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone that doesn't know, because I used to work up in Swindon, so I do know it, just describe what that is. Oh, the magic roundabout! If for the first, if you've never seen anything anything like that, it's a collection of I can't remember how many. It's like six roundabouts, maybe more. Um, and like a hog of roundabouts, isn't it? Roundabout on roundabout. It's roundabout on roundabout. It's a bit like that game of downfall. If anybody remembers <laughs> that, where you used to have to try and get this 
sort of you know plastic disc to pass through all these different rotating cogs and get it to the bottom it was like that you had to line them up oh it was it was utterly terrifying the first time I went through and in fact I'm amazed I didn't crash because I didn't look I just drove straight ahead um but then yeah like all things you get used to it yeah now you're a master of it you could do tours of it um what were holidays like then well because we didn't really have well we didn't have any disposable income so you know it it it, financially things were quite tough but I was never again I was never really conscious of that as a child because it's just life is what it is um so we didn't we didn't have holidays um with my mum really we had holidays my dad would take us away um in the summer and we'd go for a week down to Cornwall or down to Wales um and yeah I remember those really fondly too we'd either be camping or be in a caravan um uh, somewhere near a beach and just do lots and lots of walking you know it was it was very kind of a very sort of natural childhood in that way which really suits the kind of person that I am um you know it might not be for everybody but yeah, I, I I loved it. And and it just sort of a lot of time kind of hanging out, playing with my brothers, winding each other up, teasing each other, um, you know, making friends. And yeah, it was, um, you know, odd occasion where we would have a little bonfire on the beach and those sorts of things that, uh, yeah, really stand out for me. And how old were you when your parents got divorced? Um, I was young. I was about four. Right. So do you have much memory of that? Or do you have much memory of, of family life prior to that? I have little. Yeah, I do have a little bit of memory prior to that. And it they, it sort of tends to be in kind of um, snapshots, like you're remembering a photograph. You know, it, it's that kind of memory. Um, and yeah, so of course, naturally, it was not a great time for my parents. So some of those memories, are, you know, they're, they're not particularly... Um, fond to look back on I would say you know but it it is what it is and um yeah I mean luckily I guess you know the nature of the way our psyches work is when things are quite tough you you do tend to sort of split them off or compartmentalize and I think for me the you know the sort of escapism and um being out to play was was the way I I kind of managed I mean, I remember some crazy things now, though, that just would never happen, like being very young. So, oh God, about maybe six and getting the bus with my older brother, who would have been sort of seven. Um, and the two of us going off into town on our own to go to the cinema. We would never do it, would we? But, yeah, we did things like that. So I think I got quite independent from quite a young age. Right. And you mentioned being a, a single parent family. Is that very much how you felt it, it was? Were you aware of that or is that you sort of looking back on it now? Well, no, that's looking back. I had no idea, really, because it's just it's your norm, isn't it? And, you know, I always felt myself to be I I never felt us to be kind of um impoverished or poor or or kind of lacking I knew that we couldn't have stuff but it was it was sort of fine that was just that was just as it was um and I think because I had quite a rich imagination that 
you know, I kind of made my fun. I made my entertainment. So I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I do have lots of really fond memories, but they were never, they were never around kind of lavish holidays or spending money. It was all about kind of making my own fun, I guess. Did you have imaginary friends? Were you one of those? <laughs> no, I did have one or two real ones. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your mum like as a parent? Was she strict? You know, what what yeah. are you left with of how she parented you? Um, well, well, our parenting styles are very different. Um, she was very strict, but looking back, obviously I can see why she had to be, you know, she was on her own with three children and under an immense amount of stress the whole time. So yes, she had to be very, very strict. Um, And that it's very different. In some ways I went the opposite way, which I think does happen. And and I became, I was much more of a freer parent and probably, well, not probably, definitely didn't have strong boundaries as I should have, should have had until I learned that I needed those and then put them in place. But yeah, I guess, I guess I can definitely see that what I did was try to create for my children the kind of fantasy childhood that I wanted. I can, I can definitely see that I, I did that or I attempted to do that. And so what do you think made your childhood special? Um, what made it special? I've I think you. Look at that. I've stumped you. I like that. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, and I think in some ways, as always happens, the tough part always gives you the, the good part, the so the negative gives you the positive and vice versa. And in some ways you know it was obviously hard that my mum obviously couldn't be around a lot because she was working full time but the upside of that is then I had a lot of freedom so I kind of had a lot of freedom just to kind of um do what I wanted to do which thankfully you know it it wasn't kind of destructive or negative or negative in any way it was it was yeah I could just get out on my bike I could go and, and you know walk through fields I had a friend who had a horse and I used to go and help her um you know look after the horse and the stable so I just I had I had I had quite a lot of freedom just to really kind of stay a child in some ways and I think that was that was quite a privilege what I quite like is I'm getting a sense of you as a bit of a hippie, which I like. I like imagining like that. Do you I have much? Did you think I'm? Yeah, it's the, the the crazy witch lady. They like to call me every now and then. <laughs> but did you have much sense when you were younger of what you wanted to do or what you wanted to be? Yeah, I did actually. I had really clear idea from quite a young age. I had there was I remember distinctly remember thinking, right, I want to be a psychiatrist or a teacher or an air hostess. So those were the three things I really wanted to do. Right, and how did you go about following that? Well, it was yeah. I I can remember. So I, I remember, you know, when I said, "Oh, you know, I really want to be a psychiatrist." That that kind of got quashed because it was like, "Oh, you'll have to go to university." You know, you need to be kind of super bright. It's like, thanks, mother. <laughs> you know, no, but that was you know, it. Was what we tend to do, don't we? Is where we have limitations, we tend to think, and it's out of protectiveness and love. But we pretend we tend to think that those limit those limitations are, are there for everyone around us. And of course, you know, we learn as we grow that that that's not true. But that so that one kind of got pushed to one side. I remember saying at school that I wanted to be an air hostess, and they're like, "Oh, it's a bit of a dream job. You know, you should maybe find a different kind of career." And and then I 
was quite rebellious at that and thought, no, bugger it, I'm going to do that. Um, and I did, um, I did that for a year. So you I took as an air hostess. Yes, yeah. You see, I wanted to be an air hostess and my dad, in contrast, it's funny, isn't it, what our parents do to us? My dad, I told him I wanted to be an air hostess and we'd done a lot of travel as kids. We lived abroad a lot. And my dad, and I I mean no disrespect to air hostesses because I said this on a telly programme once and I got people complaining. This was not me saying this. And these were different times when my dad went, oh, they're just waitresses of the skies. And and he wouldn't let me go down there. He had higher aspirations, which I couldn't meet. So mine was like the opposite way on that I, he wanted me to be a lawyer or something highfalutin, and now here I am just mocking about on the airwaves. <laughs> I'm sort of let him down, I presume, in a way. Isn't it fascinating? Well, yeah, you know, because the, the, that's one of the, you know, because one of the sort of traps we can fall into as parents is to sort of project, you know, either our unfulfilled ambitions or our own wants and needs onto our children and expect them to fulfil it. Um, you know, and, and it always comes from a place of love. You know, I'm sure your dad felt that that was protective of you. And, you know, and likewise, a parent like my mum saying, oh, that's out of reach was protective, you know, of not wanting me to be disappointed. Um, so they come from a place of love. But we've just got to be so careful that we don't take it on and that we do follow our our own paths. Yeah. And yeah. And, and thank goodness you you followed yours, because I'm I'm sure there have been many people who are grateful for you know, for for you having a presence in in television and radio. For mucking about on the telly. And yours took a very different turn as well then, didn't it? So you were an air hostess for a year and then what happened? And actually, in in response to what your dad said, I have got to say, and obviously I did the job and I have friends that have have done the job and still do, it uh, what it was like waitressing because of course that predominantly is what you're doing that's the that is the kind of how you spend most of your time it's just that you have an awful lot of responsibilities that go along with it you know for the sort of safety and the crew and the passengers um so yeah that was for me, I did it for a year and I I realized that I loved working with people that I was an abs you know that pe- the people for me made it um but I I didn't enjoy the kind of monotony um and the thing that kind of absolutely killed it for me is I I couldn't I don't know how you do it custom but I couldn't get up at like 3 a.m uh, <laughs> yeah I don't like it I, I did not enjoy that <laughs> And so tell me about, because things just took a very interesting turn when you did that advert, didn't they? Oh my goodness, yes. Well, yeah, literally, when you know when people say, you know, oh, your life changes overnight and you kind of think, well, is that possible? Well, it, it literally did change overnight. So um, yeah, when the, when the poster came out, which was just for a, a local double glazing company, um, it changed overnight. Yeah, the the uh, the the sun picked up on it. The star picked up on it. All the the different newspapers and and I was yes, yeah, sort of whisked up to London and offered contracts and yeah. And were you modelling prior to that, or were no. you just helping a mate out with a photo I was shoot or something? Mate out. No, I was a customer services manager. I was I was old by modelling standards then. I was twenty seven and I was a customer services manager. Um, and yeah, there was somebody that I know knew at the time who'd opened a modeling agency and she'd got this first job. She hadn't first job that came through that was paying and she didn't have anybody to to put forward for it. Um, 
And so she asked me, and as a favour, just to kind of give us some numbers, I didn't think I would get it. I said, oh, God, yeah, okay, why not? You know, it's only a picture. And and then, yeah, then they offered it to me, and I thought, well, do I do it? And then they were like, it's 200 quid. And I was like, ooh, 200 quid for having a picture? Why not? Um, and, yeah, it sort of, it kind of, it all went quite crazy after that. And how did your brothers and your relationship with your brothers work with something like that? Oh, my goodness. I I think, I mean, that's this is a whole other topic, you know. <laughs> the, the impact of fame on family is a whole other topic because I think it, it changes their world and their life as well. And particularly because I was getting so much um, scrutiny and attention, you know, it was it was it was quite unbelievable. Um it was every cover of every newspaper and every magazine, just unendingly. And, you know, on the news, yeah, just everywhere. And so it did really affect them. Um, and I think they found it really quite tough because fame is a really peculiar thing. It's a really peculiar thing. It's, it's, it's you know, we can all kind of get an understanding of it now when with social media, um, you know, what it's like to, to suddenly have lots of people having an opinion on you. Um, and then when you kind of extrapolate that, you know, into the millions, it's, it is, um, it's quite extraordinary. It's quite an extraordinary experience to live through and not one that I would necessarily recommend to others to do. Um, it's got its benefits for sure, but there's all, an awful lot of downsides too that, that you know, in, unless it's happening to you, you're just not aware that that's even possible. Yeah, so you had no idea that your life was going to head in that direction. Just going back to you at school then, what were you sort of, you know, were you studious? What, what were you like? What were you aiming for? I was, I was, I was kind of a very quiet, well-behaved kid at school, I guess. Um, and I enjoyed school and I liked my teachers and, and I, I love to learn. And that's something that's never stopped, actually. Um, you know, I'm 50 in a few weeks and I've just started a master's degree, research degree. And so my, you know, my love of learning has never, ever stopped. Um, but yeah, I do remember in the last year, it did go a little bit wobbly. And I realized that because I'd, you know, I had quite a good reputation at school that I could suddenly bunk off lessons and not get into trouble. Um, so that wasn't ideal, because that was my year of exams. So I, I really didn't kind of give that the time and energy they needed. I didn't have that focus. And I didn't know what I was going into or what I wanted to do. So um, yeah, so what did you leave exam wise with? Well, I did, I considering considering my absences and lack of revision and all of those things, you know, I I, I did all right. I, I came away with, um, well, I, I got eleven O levels. What well, four of them were GCSEs that I I did at college the year after. Um, yeah, that's interesting. When you said your age then, because I'm I think I'm exactly a year younger than you because I think we've got the same birthday. Weirdly, um, I'm twenty third, twenty third of Feb. Oops, snap. Yep. Yeah, I'm yeah, so I was the first year of GCSEs. So yeah, you will have been the last of last all of them. That weird. So you went slightly off the rails at, at the end then. That's I mean, quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Only slightly by the sounds of it. I mean, my off the rails, it was off the rails for me, but you know, <laughs> as, yeah, but not, not, yeah, not by other people's standards, but yeah, I did kind of bunk off school a little bit. Um, and you know, and it, 
you know, hang out with my friends instead of going to lessons that I didn't want to, that kind of thing. Um, but that was it. You know, I, I wasn't kind of, I wasn't getting into any other trouble. I'm probably too scared to <laughs> at the time. But do you find that it's those things now that you have done that you've got an eye on for your kids and how are you going to deal with those type of oh, things? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. Well, I, what, what I do is, and again, is you, you can't, you know, you can't sort of project, they're so different to me, you know, of course, cause they're totally different human beings. Um, but I, I've just always kind of gone by the policy of let's just talk about everything. So I don't pretend it's not happening, you know, when, <clears throat> if they're having a, a tough time or Flynn had some real challenges through school, you know, it, it, it just, it was a system that didn't work for him, didn't suit him. Um, and it doesn't suit everyone. And sometimes actually it's the boys that really struggle the hardest. Um, we just talked about it. We just talked about everything and just talked about, you know, okay, this is how you're feeling. This is, you know, what you're doing. This is what you want to do. You know, what are the consequences going to be? So, I just tried as best as I could to guide, but knowing that I couldn't force. Um, and so his journey through the last part of school was a challenge for him. And then Evie, she's the exact opposite. You know, she, I, I, I'm, she, I'm having to tell her to stop revising, to take <laughs> breaks, stop working. You know, she, she's done, she's been making PowerPoint presentations on the environment and ecology since she was about six. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but, you know, in the last, certainly in the last kind of seven years, um, she is so academically focused and determined and it just shows you, well, it's, it's about what is your path? What are your passions? What are you interested in? And not, there isn't one size that fits all. So school's going to be brilliant for some and it's really not going to work for others. just got to try and find hopefully your path without losing your confidence or feeling somehow that there's something wrong with you because it doesn't work. So let's just talk about your kids and you've, you've mentioned Evie and you've mentioned Flynn you've got three haven't you what what are the ages? So Morgan's 20 um, wow. and yeah he's my eldest son. Um, Flynn is 18 about to turn 19 my middle son and Evie is uh, my daughter and she's just turned 17. I can't do the maths but how old were you when you were you 30 when you had your first? Um, I was 29 I think when I had Morgan. Um, did that or- feel young or did that feel about right? It felt it felt right for me. It felt right for me. I certainly, I'm glad that I didn't have them at a younger age. Um, um, but then I think, you know, and I think there's all sorts of benefits to having children as you're older as well, because you tend to be a bit kind of calmer and wiser. Um, the downside is you have less energy. But um, yeah, pros and cons to everything. But for me, that that felt about right. Yeah. And how did the the age gaps between them work for you? Um, well, there was, so there was something like, there's something like, gosh, uh, well, Morgan was born in 2000, Evie was born in 2002, Flynn was born in 2003. So I did have three, three years and under at one point. 
Um, and that was quite a challenge. Uh, but I always remember I was sort of, you know, again, it's, you shouldn't listen to other people's advice. You should always go by your own instincts on these things. I remember being uh, uh, my uh, mother-in-law at the time saying to me, well, if you're going to get up for one in the night, you may as well get up for two. You may as well get up for two. <laughs> And I'm like, it sounds so simple. I like that logic. But when it comes to it, you realise, oh, my God, it's not quite that easy. Um, I think, yeah, two very young children at one time, you, you know, is manageable. An ideal, if I, if I was to try and be precise about it, I think for me, an ideal gap would probably be about um, three years between them you know, three or four years. But that said, what I did love is that they grew up and they were all in the same phase and stage at, at the same time, which which can also make life easy in some ways. And am I right in thinking, did you ever do the moving to London thing or have you always stayed away no. from that? I kind of go into anaphylactic shock at the thought of moving into London um, and break out in hives. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I have to be surrounded by trees. You know, I've got to be surrounded by countryside. I've got to feel like I'm free. So, you know, some people have the opposite, don't they? The thought of being in the countryside puts them into a panic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't want to be in a, in a city at all. You know, when, when my children were younger and they weren't in school, I had a flat in London and lived outside so that we could all kind of, you know, be up in London when I was working and be together and then once they started school then I settled um out in the countryside and yeah been there ever since and the way you were describing then particularly Evie learning I reckon of all the people I've been speaking to in the last few weeks you would probably excel at home schooling given that your propensity to learn as well yeah no I absolutely wouldn't excel at home I'd be awful because um she the reason she's doing so well it's it's nothing to do with me it's she's completely self-driven um you know she she's the one that kind of pushes herself and knows what she needs to do and knows what she wants to do um I would be far more relaxed and just say you know oh, let's just leave it and, and go outside and go for a walk or go for a bike ride or make some cakes um and the reason why I guess I'm okay with my own studies because I've got a reason and a purpose for doing it. You know, it's something I love. So that drives me. Um, but unless I can have feel a, a purpose or uh, or a reason for it, then, yeah, I, w- I would find, my, find it hard to motivate. And I really feel for parents who are homeschooling now. And, I, you know, I put my kids through a Steiner school education when they were little because I... There are so many other things that constitute learning and education, you know, play being the major part of it. So... Yeah, I don't know about I, Steiner. Talk me through that. What is that? Oh, oh well, I, I loved it. Um, it's so the philosophy is it's it's really about it's not Montessori, so it's not about children get to choose what they want to um, learn, you know, it, and that there's no discipline. It's not like that at all. Um, but the ethos is you kind of you you involve the the head, the heart and the mind. So you don't separate them out. So children are in a kind of kindergarten environment until they're six. And in there, they are planting vegetables, playing in the garden, making things, creating, baking. It's like a big extended family. They're learning languages. They're learning communication skills. You know, they're singing. It's very much in rhythm and in tune to a child's psychological development and their psychological needs. And then it's six. 
they go into a classroom and they sit down and that's where they start to to learn the kind of more academic stuff so to read and to write but this but the lessons aren't separated out so it's not like you know, maths, English, science, they'll combine the learning. So at one point in their curriculum, um, I think, I don't know, there may be about eight, something like that. They learn how to build a house. So they build, you know, our, our guys were building this sort of little brick hut out in the in the grounds of the school. And, you know, and of course, through that, they're learning all sorts of things, the, the measurements, the science, um, the teamwork, problem solving, so, you know, and then there's there's the really academic side too. So they learn all about, they learn all the sciences and 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 um, English and history and so on. Uh, but the emphasis, the way that they learn it is different. So it's, it's how can you include a child's, not only their mind, their thinking capacity, but also, um, you know, the kind of the heart, the feeling, the soul of what they're trying to learn and understand. Um, and how do you also use the practical element? You know, how do you bring in the practical? So it's kind of an embodied learning, which sounds fancy, um, but it's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful style of education, I think. I'm still getting this sort of laid back vibe from you. Do you ever shout? <laughs> do you ever go nuts at them? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I would say it's very rare that I shout. I, I tend, to, yeah, I'm pretty kind of um I guess relaxed and don't really get too stressed but occasionally I will I mean I I did the other day um when I was meant to have a a zoom meeting and I couldn't get it to connect and I couldn't get it to work and I was up against the time and suddenly you know my stress level was starting to rise and Flynn came in my 18 year old about to turn 19 and and I'm like, I'm trying to make a Zoom call, you know, and then and shouted. <laughs> I'm really sorry. And then, but, you know, I apologised and, and said, I'm sorry. And I recognised it. You know, I just got myself wound up and then thought, what's the point of getting myself wound up? You know, it either works or it doesn't. So, yeah, I, I tend not to lose my temper that often. Um, but I think, to be honest, that's because I've been, A, doing my own therapy for the last 10 years and my psychotherapy training for the last, you know, 10 years. So, that all helps. <laughs> yes, you can sort yourself out. And going for walks and not putting too much pressure on myself. And do any of them show any designs on wanting to work in the media, in telly, in anything? Uh, Evie, absolutely not. Flynn, absolutely not. Morgan, possibly. M- Morgan, I could see. Um if there was the right vehicle in, I could see him do it because going into media, because he, uh, he, well, he's a huge people person and communication is kind of one of his strengths. Um, and yes, he, and he's very kind of gregarious. He's quite extroverted, but he's got it balanced. You know, he's got it balanced with, other qualities too and so I think I could see I could see there'd be a potential for him doing that um but yeah does that make you feel oh well you know what totally fine if that's what he wants to do and the same way you know I'm totally fine about Flynn and Evie thinking that would be the worst thing they could do um it's because it's just it's it's just following your own life path isn't it and you know and and 
and seeing life as this kind of ever unfolding journey, you know, of which there are ups and downs and excitements and lows and but it's this it's this kind of never ending journey that we're on life. Um, so as long as as long as they're getting up each day and uh, and and have a love for what they're doing, it doesn't matter what that is. Fling Gardens, he's a gardener and he absolutely has a passion for it. He absolutely go every day he gets up looking forward to, to going out and doing that. Um, and I think that's wonderful. In the same way with Evie and her ecology and, and environmental kind of studies, she's absolutely loves that. And so that's all I want for them is just whatever it is, it really doesn't matter as long as it kind of makes their heart sing. And so I'm I'm getting quite a lot of parallels, your childhood to the sort of childhood you're repeating, you're giving to your children. And even if we can touch on it to a degree, there's divorce in there as well, isn't there? Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so Wayne and I, we separated, oh gosh, how long ago? Back in 2012. So, yeah, I mean, my mum had been married for 10 years and then divorced, say, when I was about four um and yeah Wayne and I I think we had about 20 years together and then yeah we divorced and I did notice that kind of that repeating pattern you know which is often the case um do you think it is the case is that a thing I think so I think you can often see these patterns repeat in families and you know and you have to kind of like be curious as to why and what what is that about um I mean I'm always curious about patterns and why we do what we do um so yeah they it was definitely it was definitely there I mean I I I, for all different reasons but yeah it was interesting and and it, it it does it does often happen that way or or we seek to do the absolute opposite of what we experienced and having grown up with your mum uh, as a single mum did you feel prepared that you could perfectly handle that and do that not at all. No, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I really didn't. I didn't know how I was going to do it or manage. Um, and I'd say the first few years were really, really hard, really difficult. Um, and you know, now we 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 found we found our groove. And you know, and once I kind of the big the hardest thing for me is my dream, my kind of I guess my childhood dream. Really, all that I really wanted was to have a family um, and have a little family unit. And that was it, you know. So I never wanted to get divorced. I, I, I just, the family was the most important thing to me, still is the most important thing to me. Um, so I, I suffered a kind of a real kind of grief and loss and, uh, you know, A, the heartbreak of it all. And also the the grief and loss that my kind of little dream or fantasy of having this this family unit um, wasn't going to be, um, or not in the way that I saw it anyway, um, until I realised, well, you know what, these are the things we can't control, and these are the things that we we don't know what's going to happen to us, all sorts of unexpected curveballs come out, come in life, um, but what have I got, and actually it might not be my, you know, how I'd envisaged, envisaged it from childhood, you know, mum and dad and children together, um, it was just me and my children, but I realised, you know what, this is my family unit, we are a whole family, even if we are in a different shape to other people's, you know, we are a whole family, um, we found our groove, and 
it's been pretty beautiful. I've been really, really grateful. Um, and it's not to say that it's always been easy, quite the opposite, because when you're a single parent, you're doing the job of, of two parents always, you know, that's how it is. And there isn't that other person to go to for sort of support or backup or, you know, to sort of tag tag team when you're tired. You know, that's not there. It just falls on you. Um, but we're an immensely strong little family unit. Um, and I've I've I really I've, I've really found kind of, I guess, the gratitude and appreciation for what we've got. But there have been times when it's been tough. What would you say is your lowest parenting moment then? Oh dear. Oh God, my lowest parenting moment. I've probably had so many, you know, I kind of try not to get caught up on that because I used to feel so much guilt for when I'd look back and think, oh, why did I do it like that? Why did I do it like this? Um, You know, I should have been like this. I should have been like that. I should have said this. I should have done that. And I used to really beat myself up and feel so much guilt and pain, you know, real pain at that, and and how I perceived my shortcomings to be. And, you know, and they probably were shortcomings. But what what I realise now, and what I recognise now, is that we were, we're all only ever doing our best, you know, with what we know at the time and with what we have and what skills we have, what level of awareness we have. So I was only ever doing my best, you know, at any point in time. So I can acknowledge I might have, I did make mistakes and it might not be how I would do it now, but I know that where I came from was from a good place, you know, the best place that I could possibly come from. So, yeah, I, I try and let that go and just focus on, OK, well, what have I learned? How can we get it right? And as I say, I, you know, we're a good, strong, happy little family unit and we've been through our trials. Um, but there's an enormous amount of love for each other. And and so for that, I put my focus on that and I'm grateful for that. You know, I get uh, into bed sometimes and I do the old, right, tomorrow's a new day. We wipe the slate clean. We'll all try and be better tomorrow and <laughs> just take it one day at a time at the minute, the, the age mine are. That's it. One day at a time. And, and, and you just try and be as conscious as you possibly can. So, you know, it, you, you try not to sort of play out all the old stories and scripts and replay what was, you know, how it always was. You try and find a new way. Um, and it's amazing how things can change and change for the better. And just thinking about holidays now as well, in terms of what you said your childhood holidays were, how does that differ for your children? Are you keeping it sort of low key and basic or do they have a, a much sort of wider view of the world? Well, they've definitely had a wider view of the world because they've done an awful lot of traveling. Um, I mean, I think the first time, oh, when was the first time I got on a plane? I don't know, in my 20s. Um, and, you know, my kids, yeah, have been fortunate enough of been able to take them to lots of different places around the world. But we've also had loads of um, holidays in the UK. We've done massive amount of camping and caravanning and motorhoming. Um, you know, even one time, I remember Evie and I kind of, um camped in the car you know in the wilds so 
we 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 have those kinds of holidays and i love holidays in this country i and, and i love the kind of simpler the better um but that said you know i took them to nepal and we had you know about a month out there exploring and and just sort but in i i like in my ideal world is for them to be able to see not just sort of necessarily like a hotel complex and whilst that's really nice and a treat, you know, I like to kind of, for them to see just, you know, another angle on life and, and, and just kind of broaden their picture that way. So they have had that, but as I say, a lot of our favourite holidays and a lot of their favourite holidays, they will say looking back was, was when we went camping, um, you know, camping in France or camping in this country, um, as opposed to kind of any expensive, lavish holidays. Yeah. And what would you like them to remember you as, as a mum? Um, loving, kind, um, and always, always wanting the best for them, no matter what. Do you know what's interesting? You said as a youngster that you wanted to do the therapy thing and it was poo-pooed. And then as you've spoken for the whole of this conversation, it's actually been the backbone. It's been there, hasn't it, your whole life? And here you are now in adulthood doing it properly. This is it. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I mean by this, you know, life being this unending journey. And it's like a. so far it's, yeah, it's like it's been there's sort of been three distinct parts to my life and this part now yeah I am actually getting to to do that work that I always wanted to do I knew it was always in me um but of course you know becoming sort of famous in at 27 and being in media for 25 years it sort of threw my a curveball and threw me in a totally different direction so yeah it's it I, I definitely feel at home in in the in this work of of therapy it's definitely where my kind of my heart and my soul is for sure Right. Quite often when we've had these chats, I can kind of think where the answer is going to go with somebody. I have been wrong as well. And then people have done the opposite thing. But with you looking at the chat we've had, everything seems so even handed just in the 45 minutes we've had of your childhood and the childhood you're giving to your kids. But I've got to ask the question and there can only be uh, one definitive answer. So if you had to choose, would you rather have the childhood that you had or the one that you were giving to your children? Oh, you know what? <laughs> I feel bad saying this, but I would choose the childhood I've given my children. Um, and I think perhaps it's because the things that I chose, I chose consciously. Um, and that might not have been a luxury that was offered to my parents. Okay. So you think that everything they have, you have sort of actively contributed to and and that's of, of benefit ultimately for them? My, my, my entire driving force and sort of reason for, for being, for living, was about looking after my kids the minute they were born. Uh, nothing else mattered. Other, that was my priority. So it was was and still is such a focus um that they they were my priority that I I did what was ever what was it with ever whatever was within my power to to try and and give them and I wouldn't say best I'd say the healthiest that I could 
really interesting. I genuinely didn't know which way you were going to go with that really interesting stuff. Thank it, you so much. It's, it's such a great question, though, because it then it does make me feel like, oh, no, but that feels so, you know, I feel bad for, for my mum. But, uh, you know, they she gave me what she could and I'm grateful for that. And it's almost a bit like then you pass on the baton, don't you? And then I give on what I can to mine and, and they will learn from 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 their childhoods and, and and hopefully pass the baton on to their kids so I, I like to see it as more of an evolution I think that's what happens nice thank you so much it's been brilliant chatting to you thank you uh, for letting me into a little window on your world <laughs> thank you Kirsten I really enjoyed that I've ended on a sort of weird pun about your career thing, haven't I? I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. That's brilliant. Uh, I love it when it comes full circle. Yes, there we are. You've been listening to 16 Summers with me, Kirsten O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe in the usual way. And we're always happy to hear your comments using the hashtag 16 Summers. 